Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, before we get into the podcast, I just want to let everybody know about a virtual seminar that the UK Investor Magazine is hosting on the 30th of June at 10.30am. Um, in the notes to this podcast, there'll be a link to the, the webinar platform that we're going to be using for that. Um, we're going to have a number of panellists there, um, including UK brokers with a number of stock tips, as well as some of uh, um, the UK's um, capitalists working at the front lines of smaller business and how that's going to be looking um, throughout the recovery. So uh, once again, keep, uh, keep an eye out for the UK Investor Magazine um, emails. You'll be able to sign up there as well as in the notes to this podcast. So getting into the podcast, um, again, we're very kindly um, joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Pleasure to be back, Jonathan. Fantastic. Thanks for, for being here. So um, as always, we've got a few um, stocks that we're going to get stuck into. But before we do that, um, we have a quick uh, quick look at markets, Alan. Yeah. Um, so 62.50, there are thereabouts on the FTSE 100. It's it's an area that I would probably call no man's land at the moment because if you look at the recent range up to 6,500, down to about 6,000, we're obviously pretty much bang in the middle of that. There's very little movement today, very little movement yesterday. There's a lot that the market has digested um, in recent weeks. Obviously, we've had the um, very sharp rally on the reopening and then we had a, a very sharp uh, equally sharp decline on concerns of a of a second wave and, and we've sort of met in the middle of those two forces mm. in your view alan what what could you see and this is a very difficult question because it's very difficult to see um what's going to be around the corner at the moment but what you know which sort of side do you think in in the sort of next couple of weeks is going to win out there do you think it's going to be the fears that there's a second wave and that's not properly been priced in? Or do you think that, you know, that is pricing to some extent and now people are looking towards earnings in companies of 2021 and we could probably see a little bit more upside from here? That's a very good question, Jonathan. And I think no man's land is a very good way to describe where the markets are right now. It's um, it, it's very much uh, very difficult to read. And of course, really, the the, the key drivers, certainly for the next uh, few months, are going to be the recovery or otherwise from COVID. Of course, what we are seeing is is that um, some established, well-established drugs are, uh, there was a, a drug that's been around with the 50s that begins with D, I forget its name, it'll probably come to me later on. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's been, um, they, they, they found out this long, long-standing drug that's been used to treat uh, various conditions um, were uh, treated patients uh, who firstly were in ventilators and secondly were taking oxygen and there was a there was a, a something like a, a 10 or 15 percent reduction in both cases um, uh, for pa- for patients that were, were treated with this drug demoxithane I think or, or something similar uh, no doubt some will be uh, shouting at uh, shouting into their headphones and correcting me but um, anyway um, I think what we're seeing is now that as the disease develops and uh, 
and the the ways of firstly detecting it and secondly treating it uh, come to light, new ways come to light, um, then obviously the, the risk to each of us is marginally reduced. And I think the longer that risk, uh, as so long as that process keeps going, and if we see evidence of a second wave and then uh, the treatments that have been discovered since the disease first hit our shores um, in, in, in March this year, um, what once once we see those those treatments having having an effect and hopefully dampening down the spread of any second wave, then I think that'll be the driver for the markets. But any news like this is good, um, and obviously we're seeing lots of British companies like Novasite and Avacta develop um, uh, well, uh, both both treatments for, for testing and other companies, of course, working on vaccines as well, like Open Orphan. So um, so the the uh, the the process continues apace, and I think um, these will prove to be the key drivers over the next few weeks. So, if it's good news, I think we can expect an increase. Not so good news, then obviously, uh, you know, we'll probably see the markets uh, retrace. So the uh, I've just pulled it up, Alan. The the name of the drug is uh, dexamethasone. Um, dexamethasone, that was it. <laughs> yeah, we're very cheap. I think it's five five pounds per dose. And I think that the cost to treat someone's about £35. Pounds. Yeah. So you, you mentioned some of the companies there, Novasite, Avacta. Mm. There's other ones out there like um, Synergen, yep. um, UK-listed companies. What, what's the risk to these companies? They've had huge rallies um, you know, on the anticipation of there being a real breakthrough in, in sort of what they're doing. Um, you know, is there a risk that those companies' share prices start to look a little bit frothy if we're seeing cheap drugs such as this, you know, do, doing, um, you know, great work and, and producing great results in, in people and unfortunately have coronavirus? Do you think mm. there's a risk that those shares um, become redundant to some extent? You know, obviously, is AstraZeneca pushing forward with tests, not to say that they're going to um, have uh, the, the vaccine. But, you know, what's the sort of risk to these companies that have had, you know, there's been a lot of hype around them and they've obviously done some, you know, have some great development that, you know, what they have doesn't really get used. It, you're right, Jonathan. It's inevitable that uh, some of these companies, even though their products might be very considerable for the market, may be outclassed and outperformed by a superior product. And, of course, um, there's no way of knowing how that's going to play out until, until of course, we're, we're further down the road. Um, but I think yes, we've already seen. I think they're, they're both in the in the retracement of the markets um, after that sharp rise you mentioned earlier. We have seen um, also um, a, a correction, if you like, in the in COVID stocks. And um, I mean, Avacta, for instance, was trading at above two pounds at one stage, and it came all the way back um, last week and uh, and dipped below. Uh, well, in fact, no, it was earlier this week. It dipped. Below um, a pound, um, but it's come back pretty strongly now. It's trading at one pound forty. But of course, um, this is going to happen. We're going to see more of these corrections. Um, but um, also, the COVID companies are, as I said earlier, are treating the disease at different stages of its evolution. So, um, Avacta is is all about uh, um, accurate testing, and indeed, an announcement, um, a joint venture. It announced yesterday the uh, the CEO of the company it announced the joint venture with said, said that the Afema technology is owned by Avacta um, lent themselves 
very well to mass manufacturing. So in other words, there's a solution there. It's proven to work. It's also suitable for mass manufacturing. So in effect, it's ready to go. And of course, Novasite, who we know uh, already are, are in the field as well, are, are in a similar position. Other companies, um, of course, are um, manufacturing treatments to treat the disease at uh, um, at the chronic stage, and of course, uh, most of those are um, are, are uh, focused on the respiratory issues and reducing that. Tiziana Life Sciences, of course, is another that has um, that has a, a solution in that area. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think probably it won't it won't just come down to one drug, but certainly some of the drugs and the and the uh, treatments and the uh, the tests that are being developed will will fall by the wayside that is inevitable um, but we've we've got a long way to go yet indeed indeed so it's, it's going to be a very interesting and indeed important uh, sector to be keeping an eye on mm. forward so um one company uh, that we're going to move on to now uh, Alan is one that's probably uh, you know a true success story throughout uh, covid-19 maybe not so much down you know particularly to covid-19 but you know it's obviously the sort of wider business and that's venture life yeah Alan had uh, you know a couple of updates recently a huge appreciation in the share price so what's going on there okay so venture life um, uh, will the company says it develops, manufactures, just and distributes products for the the self care market. And these are products like uh, like um, hands hand gel, hand sanitizing gel, uh, um, uh, nail varnishes and treatments, dental mouthwash, uh, and so on. And the company has worked to develop a number of distribution agreements with uh, with major manufacturers. Has a very successful um, agreement with Alliance Pharma. Um, and it's been appointed the second manufacturer of Alliance Farmers Kelico treatment, uh, sales of which grew 38% in 2019 alone. Um, and also um, announced a 168 million euros distribution agreement with, with a Chinese company to, to distribute some of its products over there. Um, 7 million of that is going to hit the books in 2020. Um, so the, the shares basically... Uh, uh, fell sharply, uh, well, just above 20p in March this year. And of course, here we are today at 76p mid price. Um, the reason for that is that um, um, Venture Life have a, an Italian manufacturing and distribution plant. And of course, the, the that's based in northern Italy. And I think there were general expectations that it would just stop completely. But the company announced in trading updates that. Um, because it basically distributes from there, um, and it's uh, the the distribution um, uh, 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 process is is very much uh, um, in house and and uh, and uh, wasn't affected by COVID. Um, of course, the shares recovered sharply um, since that time. Um, the company's uh, issued trading updates and says it expects to in inverted commas, comfortably exceed full year expectations um, and is forecasting 50% revenue growth driven by uh, organic uh, and acquisition growth. And of course, the company announced last year it uh, bought a company called PharmaSource and it said in that statement that uh, the the uh, integration of PharmaSource is on track. Um, and it's currently, the, the broker says it's currently trading on, um, on well, against the broker's um, own 
own um, uh, uh, forecast. It's trading. It's trading very. Uh, it, the forecasts are conservative against the numerous positive announcement from, announcement from the company so far in, in 2020, and it reiterates its buy recommendation even at current levels. So I think there's a lot of scope for upside here. And when you consider Venture Life, as well as the, its Chinese partners, is trading with retail partners, including Tesco's, Morrison's Boots, Asda, uh, Sunstar, um, and it also has um, Superdrug, and also um, a lot of online distribution through Amazon. I think there is real scope for this company to continue growing. And indeed, I myself um, spoke with and interviewed the chief executive, uh, Jerry Randall, um, a, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, you can find that interview on our Twitter feed and also on the uh, on the uh, branduk.net and Novus Communications websites. Um, so you can find out from what Jerry had to say there. But there is an awful lot of upside, I believe, still to come from the company in the current year. Indeed. So, I mean, that's obviously a, a, you know, a good example of a British company doing business with China, which I think is something um, which does breed a bit of optimism um, for the Brexit negotiations going forward. If there's more businesses able to do that and, and strike deals, I think that will bode very well for the uh, for the UK economy. So a very interesting company there in, uh, in Venture Life. So moving on, Alan, we, we're going to be... Um, looking now at a company um, that's operating in probably one of the sectors that has been, um, at, you know, in the spotlight throughout um, the COVID nineteen lockdown, and that's the computer game uh, industry. Um, you know, obviously there's the sort of bigger titles and bigger players out there, EA Sports, for example, over in America. Um, as people have been at home, um, very little else to do. Um, there's been a sort of huge increase in subscriptions, but there's a there's a company listed here in the UK, um, which maybe hasn't been in, you know mentioned um, you know w- within um, this conversation as as widely as it should have been, and that's a company called Team Seventeen Digital, Alan, and and again um, one that's you know, performed pretty well throughout the, the lockdown. A number of updates recently, and um, you know how have they seen that and found that success during the the lockdown. Well, uh, this is, again, another British success story, Jonathan. And, and I was interested to look at this company uh, uh, following our conversation in the previous podcast about Bidstack, because, of course, um, it, you know, the, the Bidstack have a, uh, are bringing uh, innovative technology in the advertising world into the gaming industry. But Team 17 are a homegrown. They're based in Wakefield, Yorkshire. And the chief executive, Debbie Beswick, has worked in the industry for three decades. So she's very much right there at the start um, and it's known as one of the world's oldest independent games companies um, and uh, the, they have a focus as a business on uh, premium uh, premium games rather than free-to-play games and they got well over 100 titles including Worms, um, Genesis Alpha One, Escapists uh, and others and uh, numerous industry partnerships with Blackwright Blacklight Interactive, Playtonic, Game Kitchen, and others. Um, uh, I've been talking about this company um, on various other channels for some years, but um, it particularly interests me because the um, because it just seems to be a story of relentless growth. And um, I've been talking about the company. I first started talking about it in August last year, 
Um, uh, basically, the shares were trading at £2.90. Updated again in October, shares £3.27. And in February this year, talked about it again, £5.15. And of course, here we are today, the shares are trading at £5.30. Um, so it's just been, the, the, the company's been very well managed and run. Um, they announced uh, in February this year, they'd acquired Yippie Entertainment for £1.7 um, and said at the time that it's expected to beat full year earnings and and uh, um, and, uh, and and generally generally sort of beating market expectations. They also appointed Mark Crawford recently as permanent CFO. He'd done some great work in integrating uh, Yippie the Yippie Entertainment acquisition and also relocating to a new studio uh, in Wakefield. Um, and then early this week, we had another trading update from the group where it said it had a strong six months despite lockdowns with above expected demand for its gaming back catalogue um, and also noted an excellent, excellent start to the year. I, I suppose the only caveat in that is that uh, management said it was too early to assess what impact the strong trading would have on the full on the full year, given that uh, given that levels were now returning to something more. Um, in line with, with, with previous expectations. But they noted then the gaming market was very resilient. And of course, Jonathan, I know you, you've you got good knowledge of the industry here. So, um, uh, I mean, given the share price performance um, to date and given the what, what is a very good management team, which obviously is key to these, key to, to, to the success of any company, um, uh, I, I do think this company's still got an awful long way to go, even though it has delivered a pretty spectacular performance over the past few years. Yes, I mean, looking at this, the share price, very, very strong. And I think it's probably key, you know, for people looking at the company at the moment, you, you touched on there, Alan, you know, they're starting to see uh, levels go back to normal. And I think that's something that's happening uh, across a, a lot of the industries that's experienced, you know, stronger demand um, during um, COVID-19. Um, so I, I think at this point, we need a little bit more, um, from the company in terms of detail, um, probably from their next update to see whether these these sort of higher uh, or the higher level of the share price, you know, can can be justified and what well, you know what we need to see um, for the next leg up. Um, but definitely done very very well um, so far, and I, and I think again, you know, it's one of these British businesses that. Um, you know, not um, you know, not too widely covered, not too widely spoken about, but it's you know been doing great business. Um, you know, behind the scenes there, um, throughout this uh, this lockdown. Um, so definitely one to watch going forward in uh, in Team Seventeen. So, Alan, we we're going to finish off with two companies that we have touched on very uh, you know very recently, but they've got and have had a very steady flow. Of, uh, of quite interesting uh, updates, and it's been obviously been playing out in the markets and uh, and the share price. So, should we start with with Cadence? One more thing we spoke about last week, maybe the week before. Yeah. Um, there's further news from them, and uh, you know they've got a number of projects, haven't they? They're very diversified in what they're doing in their natural resources business. Yes, indeed. I, I, I'll just go very quickly because it's uh, to fully explain the the Cadence portfolio of investments would take some time, but. Their key investment is the Amapa Iron Ore project in Brazil. And the company updated at the start of the week to say that um, they were on, on, on schedule to start the shipping of the iron ore at the port of Santana uh, in, uh, in late quarter two, early quarter three. Um, 
The, uh, they did say, though, that the creditors had lodged an appeal against the Brazil court ruling, but uh, that the ruling was enforced and they didn't expect it to change. And, of course, this is the final stage of the, uh, of the uh, process that will lead to Keynes acquiring initially a 20% stake in an iron ore mine that was valued at 600 by Anglo-American in 2012. That's $600 million. Um, and um, uh, the, it's the final stage of the process where, um, as the mine comes out of administration, um, they need to reach a settlement with the creditors. The creditors have objected, but um, given the impact that it will have on the local economy, uh, the jobs it will create, the impact on also the railway to the port and also the the healthcare and education in the region, it's not expected that um, the creditors will, uh, will will be able will be successful in this uh, injunction. So progress from there, and also and there are other projects. There has been two key updates from the Yanjibana Rare Earths project in Australia this this week. Cadence have a thirty percent stake in the Yanjibana project. Uh, various uh, uh, points uh, uh, um, within the project uh, w- 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 within the project territory. Um, they announced yesterday, or Hastings Technology Metals, who were operating the site, announced yesterday that they've received a permit from the government to commence the construction of the plant on the site. And today they announced um, that they have commenced a major drilling program at Yanjibana to increase the existing 21.25 million tons of jolt resource estimate and also the mine life too so again you know great steady flow of update and added value to uh, to to uh, cadence and of course it, it, its investments indeed so just to finish off as well um another one that i think deserves uh, an update because we have covered it in some detail um and that's blend cow resources um obviously focusing on uh, graphite in, in Uganda. Um, we've had further news from them recently, haven't we, Alan? Indeed, Jonathan. Yes, we have. Uh, 16th of June, that's two days ago, the company provided an update on the... Uh, it announced uh, recently that it had identified a high-grade graphite zone. Of course, this is the Oran Cross uh, graphite project in Uganda. Uganda is a very benign, stable environment, English-speaking country, um, and... Uh, this, the graphite project is estimated to have some 3 billion tonnes of high-quality uh, jumbo flake graphite in the ground. It's also very close to the surface and easy to mine. Um, and, of course, the, the process for Blancao this year has been to uh, validate and update um, uh, and, and uh, update the markets on uh, diverse drilling campaigns with the view to moving towards a, a formal jolt resource estimate uh, by the end of quarter two, early quarter three. Um, announcement, as I say, on Wednesday this week, it's uh, um, the, the it had uh, basically started drilling at the uh, the high-grade graphite zone. The first diamond drill, drill hole returned visible high-grade graphite, which obviously is fantastic. So, you know, you can almost visualise them getting a spade and just digging the stuff out of the ground. That's, uh, that's how easy... Uh, it seems to be to mine the stuff, and um, you know Cameron Pierce, the chairman, said they were they were very uh, enthused by the fact that they were able to see 
um, or confirm the potential of the new high-grade graphite zone just based purely on, on a visual inspection. And of course, it's got to go back to the assay results have to go back to uh, to confirm the uh, the quality of the graphite. But in the meantime, they're going to escalate the drill program across the vicinity to identify the extent of the zone. And of course, this adds this is adding material value to the Blencow investment case the whole time. So. Um, and of course, just in demand for their pro- in regard to demand for their product, graphite is a key constituent in for the new battery industry. It makes up some thirty percent of the content of these batteries, and these are the new generation batteries for um, for a vast range of applications. Most notably, of course, in the electric vehicle industry. So, a very exciting uh, blank out, a very exciting juncture as well. Yes, and just to add there, I mean, the graphite market is one that's expected to increase steadily going forward. Um, yeah, independent analysts are sort of looking at about sort of 5 to 10% per year going forward over the next two or three years. Yeah. So, you know, traditionally, it's, I think it was China that has been dominant uh, in, the, in the market. But there's obviously uh, you know, sort of frontier economies now, such as Uganda, um, coming in, so certainly a uh, an interesting um, story to watch in terms of the, you know the sort of wider implications for industry, but also for Blencow as well. Indeed, yeah, very much so, Jonathan. I think you know Blencow are on the cusp of very, a very exciting uh, year, and once that jaw resource estimate comes in, um, mining costs will be very low in comparison, and they're using. They're also using local contractors to do the drilling too. So they've got, they've basically got their plan lined up, ready to go. Fantastic. So that's the uh, the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks again, Jonathan. So just as a reminder, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we're um, hosting a virtual seminar on the 30th of June. And in the notes of this podcast, you'll be able to find a link uh, for you to sign up. So thank you very much.